Well, up until yesterday, we were going to hear the message that many of you, especially if you've been here for the last couple of weeks, expected to hear, and that is two kings, the message of two kings. Uh, and yet, uh, as we were planning, uh, that is, we, the elders, were planning to make this presentation of our recommendation to you as a church body, as to the direction we believe we should be going as a church uh, with our building, uh, it became clear to me that the, the, the packet of material that we had put together uh, would take more than just 10 minutes to explain. It would take it would be more than just saying, here's what we decided, uh, go, go read the packet. Because frankly, there's, you know, there's going to be some that aren't going to want to read that packet. Okay? And, and we, we know that. We also know that um, to present it, we want you to understand both the larger issues that we were thinking of as well as the struggles that we felt. It was not an easy decision for us to make. And so uh, in talking amongst ourselves, it was decided that during this time that would normally be given over to the regular preaching of the Word, that this would be the time that we would take to present to you our recommendation for the future of Bangor Baptist Church. And understand that it's, you know, it's not just going to be 15 minutes, then take questions, that kind of thing. Um, it's going to take the full time that the sermon usually takes, and here's why. Uh, in thinking about this decision, we very quickly realized that it's, you know, this whole thing is not just about the building. This, this issue of the building is an expression of where we're going as a church family. It's an expression of the future of our ministry. And so what we did was to back up and say, where do we, what is the trajectory that we see Bangor Baptist Church going into the future in terms of our ministry? And so, um, you know, honestly, probably about three quarters of what we wanted to say, and, and, and just so you know, don't feel like you have to be writing down furiously notes or whatever. We have the whole thing. The notes that I'm speaking from are in a packet form that you can pick up at the end of the service, okay? Uh, but every, three quarters of what we have to say is our vision for just biblical gospel ministry in the future. And so uh, it's in, in light of that direction then that our decision was made in terms of our recommendation for the future. And so knowing that this is normally the time that during the week I have been preparing and, and, and emotionally and spiritually getting ready to preach, th there will be some preaching here. <laughs> Just understand that. Uh, but at the same time, we want to be able to present to you our, our future for, um, uh, or our vision for the future of our church and how that applies to our uh, our building issue. And so it's in the bulletin, but let me just uh, explain to you what, what's going to happen then. Uh, what, you know, the, the presentation is going to be made. Service will, uh, will end as it usually does with, uh, with a, a song uh, that is really meant to be a prayer for us in line of what we have heard, uh, and then another prayer, and then we will be dismissed. And uh, Pastor Richard and I will be glad to hang around if you have points of question or clarification. We'll be more than happy to handle that uh, today. But understand what we're calling you to do is that in take what you've heard, perhaps take it away in, in paper form. We have enough, I think, for one per family. And then we're calling you to this week to pray and to fast and to consider uh, what it is that we are recommending. We will have during the Sunday school hour next week, uh, probably not the entire time, but at least part of that time given over to discussing uh, this thing. Another opportunity for you to ask questions and to, uh, to, uh, to, to get answers about things that you may not be wondering about or perhaps even a clarification on why we did decide it or how we decided what we decided. And then we're asking again for you to take another week and to pray, and to fast, and to consider uh, whether or not this is truly God's will for our church. And then on September the 6th, after the morning service, uh, we will uh, have a very short uh, special called business meeting in order to simply vote on this uh, recommendation. And just so you know, the vote will be uh, very simple. It will simply be, uh, this is what the elders are recommending. Do you uh, affirm this, yes, 
uh, no, and then uh, no, but I'm willing to follow the lead of the congregation. So in other words, what you're saying is you're expressing that I don't believe this is, this is right, this is what we should do. Nevertheless, if I'm in the minority, uh, I, I, I'm willing to understand that and to go along with what the church as a whole does. And what we're trying to, to suggest with that is uh, we don't in any way either anticipate, but we also don't want it to become an issue that would in any way divide us. And what we want to be willing to say is we really want God to be in leadership here. And if one or two or five of us feel, uh, if, you know, if it's 95 to 5, and you know, percentage-wise, then the 5% would be able to say, you know what, maybe, maybe I'm, I'm the one that's off here, okay? And, and not be wanting to, to get mad and to, to run off, but to continue to work alongside one another as a church body. So, uh, so that's the process. So let me explain to you what we're looking at here. The document that, uh, that we've created is called Making Disciples of All Nations, the Future of Bangor Baptist Church. What you understand is that originally, you know, as uh, Pastor Rich and I sat down in my office, we, we assumed that this was just going to be a matter of which bid to take on the roof. And the more that we thought about it, the more we realized that uh, this is something more substantial that lies behind this. And so we wanted to intentionally look uh, at the larger picture of the future of Bangor Baptist Church, and specifically our biblical foundations for ministry. What does the Bible say about what we should be as a church and how we should be living together and how we should be ministering together? And then based upon that, based upon that vision of biblical ministry, what is the best decision in terms of our building? So the, the part one here is biblical foundations for ministry, okay? And this is what we want to dive into the, to the actual text of Scripture and see what it has to say for us. Ultimately, what we, what we sought to do was to come down to the core of Christian ministry, those basics of living out the Christian faith together as God's people. And ultimately, well, what we want us to understand first is that the Christian life and living together as a church and serving as a church ultimately comes down to fulfilling three commands that God gave to us. Love God, love your neighbor, and make disciples. Love God, love your neighbor, and make disciples. These commands are essential, we know, because Jesus told us they were. When in uh, Matthew chapter uh, 22, a Pharisee uh, comes and asks Jesus, which of the commandments of God are the greatest? Jesus says, um, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Of these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Jesus, make, Jesus makes it clear that all of the Old Testament hangs on those two commands. Everything is either uh, helping to reinforce or explain what it looks like to love God with all you've ever been and to love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, if you seek to keep those two commands, then everything that you do, insofar as you're doing it in fulfillment of those commands, will be the will of God for you. And likewise, when you get to the New Testament, you see the same thing. You see Paul giving all of these commands, all these exhortations, do this and don't do this. All of that is simply an explanation of practically what it looks like to love God with all your being and to love your neighbor as yourself. But then after Christ's death and resurrection, he goes beyond these first two commandments and he gives a third commandment to those people that are uniquely part of this new covenant in Christ, those that would call themselves Christians. And it's the passage that I had you turn to, Matthew chapter 28. We look at verses 18 through 20. Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, loving God and loving neighbor, which is the foundation for this command, this new command, is nevertheless the context in which the third command is also given. 
That is to say, while uh, we are called to love God and love our neighbor as ourselves, and now in Christ, the supreme way that we do that, that we give evidence that we're fulfilling those commands, is by making disciples of all nations. In fact, keeping these commands also becomes something of a cycle in the Christian life. The more you love God, the more God transforms you to love others. And loving others is supremely seen in leading them to Christ. So it becomes a cycle of life and ministry whereby those who first receive Christ, they now love God. In loving God, they begin to to love others. And in loving others, they then begin to see the need to make disciples. That in turn, the fulfillment of those things uh, creates in them a spiritual matrix by which they continue to love God more. And again, loving God more, they begin to love people more. The more they love people, they begin to make disciples. But more than that, as those that are called to love God and love people make disciples, they create disciples. God uses the proclamation of the gospel to create disciples. They, in turn, love God, love people, and make disciples. And so it is both in our lives internally a cycle by which we are continually going back to our love of God, deepening in that, which then drives us to love people and make disciples. And as we make disciples, we are creating people who then, in turn, love God. And in loving God, love people and make disciples. This is, this is the way that God has designed for humanity to be saved and for his kingdom to come in this world. Finally, it's important that we need to understand that these commands are not kept in order to earn God's favor or achieve righteousness that would be sufficient in order to forgive sins. Understand that loving God, loving others, and, and, and fulfilling the Great Commission, making disciples, those things come as the result of faith in Christ. It's not done to earn faith in Christ. So what Christianity does not say is, if you love God and if you love other people and you you try and get other people to do the same thing, then God's going to forgive you and you get to heaven. No, it doesn't work like that. Paul is very clear that it is by grace through faith that you are saved and it is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works that no one may boast. You come to God through faith in Christ alone. He has done it. He has achieved the righteousness that you need to be saved and by his death on the cross, he secures the forgiveness that you need to be saved from God's wrath. Those two things together come together when we believe in Christ and God applies that work of Christ on our lives so that now we are his people. But, but the next verse and what I just read, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. So it's not good works that make us become a Christian. It is good works that flow from God making us to be a Christian. And those good works are uniquely seen in the making of disciples. Though Christianity is driven by the desire to fulfill these three great commands, the exact expression, however, will be different depending on the church and the cultural context. Every group of Christians, for example, should meet together, that meet together as a church should um, have these kinds of essential things that look like church. You say, what are those essential things? Well, we're given a good picture in Acts chapter 2. We're told that the early Christians devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved." So the basic elements of a New Testament church include preaching and teaching, singing together, praying together, observing the ordinances of the baptism of the Lord's Supper, and seeing God give the increase, seeing Him multiply that church by saving people through those expressions of our faith in Christ. Nevertheless, 
depending on where you go and what church you go and what state you find yourself in a church or what country in which you go, what those things look like are going to vary. They're going to be different based on the cultural context in which you're in. In other words, a group of Christians here in Bay City, how they gather together and worship is going to look different than a group of Christians in New Guinea. Okay? You understand what I'm saying there? When we go and minister to the Talmashek people, the Christian services look a lot different than they do here. And that's just cultural. They're not doing anything inherently different. The way in which they do it will look uh, different. So, for example, what should that look like in, in, in Bangor Baptist Church? What should the expression of the, fill, the fulfilling of these commands look like here? Well, again, it's going to be different based upon who we are and the culture in which we find ourselves. Uh, but the goal is that these expressions will be biblically faithful while also being culturally informed. In other words, the goal is that God will be honored in all that we do, and in the way that we do it, He will not only be honored, but it will be accessible for people in our community. Okay? So when they come in, even if they do not share our faith, even if they're not willing to sing the songs because they don't really know who Jesus is and why we should be worshiping Him and saying that He's the greatest treasure of our lives, nevertheless, they will have understanding of what we're doing. It won't be like they come in and we're speaking Klingon or something. They're going, what, what is this? What, what am I doing? You know, no, they're going to clearly know, oh, I see, they, they, really, they really love this Jesus guy. They may not love Him. They may want to know more about Him, but it's, it's not going to be a total foreign experience to them in terms of their understanding. So on a very, very simple level, for example... Uh, the predominant language in Bay City is English. So all the songs that we sing will be in English. All of the preaching will be in English. Okay, it, That's the, just one kind of example of what I'm talking about. Nevertheless, to broaden it out a little bit, we have people here of various generations. And we acknowledge that both in the present and in the past, there have been faithful people that serve God. And so you will observe even already that we don't just sing one style of music. We recognize people come from different backgrounds and different ages and they have different tastes. And so insofar as remaining biblically faithful, we still try to have a variance of classic and contemporary music in order to, uh, to, to be able to express ourselves in, in uh, comprehensible ways and in ways that seek to build up this body together. So what comes next is a brief outline of the various ways the elders believe these three great commands should be lived out in our church. This is by no means an exhaustive list, but it contains our core vision for the future of our life and ministry. First of all, loving God. Loving God is most clearly defined by worshiping Him. That does not mean... Um, uh, uh, that means that uh, it's not just seeking Him, but rather also actively seeking not to worship other things. It's, it's, a, it's a positive and a negative. You're not just worshiping God... But you're also not worshiping all these other things alongside of it. You're, you are trying to cut those things out of your life so that you fully and exclusively devote yourself to the worship of God. And what we need to understand is that worship is not inherently a church-based activity. Worship is not just singing. Worship is not just preaching or listening to preaching. Worship, biblically defined, is a way of life that occurs moment by moment. It takes place as moment by moment we seek to live by faith in God, in His promises, and by the grace that He provides. It's a continual acknowledgement that He is King over our lives and needs to be honored in every way that we think, speak, and live. And so Paul will write things like this. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, by the grace you've already experienced, present your bodies as sacrifices, living, holy, and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service of worship. In 1 Corinthians 6, he says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify, worship God in your body. And in 1 Corinthians 10, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. 
That's the kind of mindset, the kind of attitude that we're talking about when we talk about worship. It's not something you go here and you worship. And that's why, uh, you know, even though it's popular, we make expressions about that. Um, just so you know, from the elders, we do not have a worship team. We have a music team. They lead music because they can't lead worship. They can't. They can provide a context in which worship can take place, but there's only one worship leader biblically, and that's Christ. That's Christ. And so, that's, so even in, in how we go about expressing ourselves, we want that to be reflected. And what we need to understand is that now that God has supremely revealed himself through Jesus, his son, Jesus Christ, we desire to aid the worship that reflects the glory of God in Christ on all levels of our life. So what does that mean? That means that we, we, should, we want to be encouraging worship on three levels. Worship as individuals, as families, and as the gathered people of God. So worship as individuals. What does that mean? It means we want to encourage individuals to live a lifestyle of worship, to, those, to be seeking to offer themselves daily as a sacrifice to God. We want to encourage specific times of worship and devotions. We also want to make practical instruction and resources available to facilitate that kind of lifestyle. Then worship as families. We encourage families to worship God together. We want to work at establishing a culture of family worship and discipleship among our people. We've already done that and we want to continue to move in that direction. Worship as the gathered people of God. We want to encourage the church body to see the importance of gathered worship. Yes, this is not the exclusive way in which we worship, but central to our living our lives as Christians, this is a part of it, this context of gathering together as God's people. And we want to strive for excellence in that worship. Now understand what that, what that means. That does not mean that we desire to boast in our excellence, that we, that, we, that we do things well so that we can pat ourselves on the back and say, wasn't that a great service? No, we want to do it with excellence for two reasons. One, that we honor God with what actually takes place during our services, but also to prevent any unnecessary distraction that would actually take away from God being honored. Along with that then, we want to, again, make available practical instruction and resources to facilitate worship. Secondly, love your neighbor. Love God and then love your neighbor or love others. This involves, first, loving God's people, loving those united together with us in Christ. That is central to living as a Christian, loving God's people even as Christ himself loves them. And this is reflected, this should be reflected in every part of our lives, including the priority of our friendships and the investments of our resources. We think of others and their interests before we think of ourselves and our own. So Luke writes this, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. He, Paul says, look, you've got this example of Christ who could have remained in heaven. He could have, he could have remained holding on to the glory that he had uh, and, and rightly deserves, but he didn't do that. He thought of his people and he laid aside the privileges of his divine Godhead, Godness, and came down and, and humbled himself and took on flesh and served his people. Likewise, Paul says, have that same mind, mindset amongst yourselves. Don't be worried about you all the time. Be thinking about other people. In fact, put their interests even before your own. As God's people, this is how we are called to live. Luke gives us the description of what that looks like in, uh, in Acts chapter 4. He says, The full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to them was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. 
There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. There's no reason that couldn't happen today. In fact, I would say that is paradigmatic. That is the paradigm. That is the example by which we should seek to judge ourselves. Certainly, there are certain cultural things that look differently. Nevertheless, when we gather together as the people of God, there should not be a needy person among us. There shouldn't be. Because it flies in the face of, of Christ's own ministry, it flies in the face of the message of the gospel, and it flies in the face of Paul's very explicit commands on how we should live. Loving your neighbor first means, again, loving God's people. The Apostle John says this, We love God because He first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not, have, who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this is the command we have from God. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. That is the priority of our lives. That our Christian brothers and sisters in the faith come first in terms of those that we give our lives to. However, however our love does not stop there. It's not just us, it reaches out to the community and to the larger world as well. It means loving people who may not want to be loved or who are hard to love. Right now, in terms of the unreached people groups of the world, the, un, the major, all, most of the groups are the people that don't want us there. They're, they're very hardcore Islamic and Hindu people and they don't want Christians there. And yet we're called to go there. We're called to love them by telling them of Jesus Christ. You say, well, how is it love to tell them something they don't want to hear? It's love because without hearing it, they go to hell forever. And so it's loving to say, I know you don't want this. I know you don't, don't want to be here, but, but you've got to hear this message. And once you hear it, it's up to you what you do with it. But, but because I love you, I need to say this to you. Sometimes that also means, as we saw a few weeks ago, that in order to do this, that we must sacrifice our time and our resources, our money, and practical expressions for love for them. It may be going to places and dealing with people that are, that are inherently seen as sinful or outcasts from society. We're told in Hebrews 13 that Jesus suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, we are to go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach that he endured. Loving lost people is not easy. It's not easy. It's, it's difficult. And yet that's what God calls us to do. Not just to love the people that are just like us, who it's easy to love because they love the same God, but go to those people who don't love the same God. Go to the people who look nothing like us. Go to those places that might even be dangerous for us to go to and love them. Love them with the same kind of love that God has loved us. What will this involve? First, it's going to involve knowing and understanding the people around us. How can we best love them? What do they need the most? How can we best show, serve them showing the love of Christ? We must actually also then engage in loving our neighbor. It's not enough just to say, well, we, yeah, we love them. You got, you got to do something, right? You actually have to go out there and do something. James is in James 2. What good is it, my brothers? If someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and any one of them says, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So how do we engage in that kind of behavior? To begin with, it means we live as good neighbors, literally, literally good neighbors. Who lives next door to us? What can we do to serve them? What can we do to, to, to benefit them as individuals, okay? Hopefully you all, if you have neighbors, you know them. Hopefully you've talked to them. You know them well. You know their family situation. You know whether or not they profess faith in Christ. You know what kind of things would best serve them and their family, and then you do it. You actually engage them in that kind of ministry, practical expressions of love. But then what about us as a church? 
wherever we meet, who, who lives next to us? How can we as a church body be good neighbors to them and also neighbors to our city as a whole? How can we make the community better for everybody to live in? Well, here are some, some specific points and then some suggested examples. First of all, specifically, we need to encourage our members to serve in various ways to the church and to the community. Make service opportunities known to you. Utilize our diaconal ministries as funnels for that kind of ministry. Then secondly, we need to stay connected to each other through our community groups, providing mutual encouragement that allows us to know one another's needs and concerns. So again, we're starting with with us as a body of Christ, seeking to provide for our needs. We then prioritize, this is the third thing, prioritize benevolence needs among members and non-members. We shouldn't be paying a non-member's bill to the point that we can't pay a member's bill. We can't help them out. Now, if that means we take up a special offering because we got caught off guard, fine, we do it. But we're called very, very specifically to love other Christians as Christ loved us. And that means putting them first in, in how we help people. Acting selflessly towards members as well as guests during services. And here's where we begin to make the shift. We have the mindset of letting others go first in all things. We make it a priority to show genuine interest in the lives of others. You know what? When, you know, it's the old joke, isn't it? How are you doing today? Uh, you know, fine. Well, you don't look fine. Well... I didn't know if you really wanted to hear me. I didn't, really, I didn't know if you really wanted to understand what's going on in my life because it's going to take a while and it's not pretty. And, that's, and the reality is, that's true, isn't it? Most of us say, hey, how you doing? But we don't care. We're already looking over here at somebody else. And both for members and for guests, we need to be intentional. We go up and say, how are you doing? We should expect to be there for a while. If that's the only person we talk to, we, we should have a genuine love and interest and concern for them because then they tell us, maybe great, here's what's going on. We rejoice with them. But if they say, man, my life is just in the pit right now, then that leads us to say, great, what can I do to serve you? What can I do to show the love of Christ in your life? How can I, how can I help meet your needs? Maybe it's just praying. Maybe I can come over and, 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 and do something for you. We should put money and energy into activities that show concern, not just for our church, but also for our community. Two suggestions that have come up recently is regularly serving at the Good Samaritan Rescue Mission, as well as working with or offering English as a second language classes for our community. Ultimately, though, what we see is that the first and best way to love others is to share the gospel with them. Jesus called us to make disciples, and that is what we need to do. So what is that going to look like? What is it going to look like to make disciples? First of all, again, we need to understand this is the natural result of truly loving God with all of our being and loving our neighbor as ourselves. That If that is truly the trajectory of our life, that we're loving God and loving others, then we will naturally want to go work at making disciples. Paul says in Romans chapter 10, speaking of his fellow Jews, Paul says, Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. He didn't say, brothers and sisters, God has called me to go and make disciples of my fellow brothers. He, God didn't have to. Paul says, my heart's desire, my passion is to see them get saved. Why? Because Paul was a guy who loved God with all of his being, and he loved others as himself. What does this involve? This involves both sharing the gospel with those who are spiritually lost, as well as investing in the lives of Christians to see them grown in their faith, living more clearly as Christ's disciples. That's the twofold aspect of making disciples. You don't just share the gospel. You do that, but then you help lead that person into maturity in Christ. And you work with other Christians who've already placed faith in Christ. Continue to help them become better disciples of Jesus Christ. And here's what we believe as elders this would look like at, at Bangor Baptist Church. First of all, by living an attractional, gospel-driven lifestyle. That is to say, you put hands and feet on Christ's likeness. You can say, 
You know, here's what Christ is. Here's what he did. But you know what? Before you even tell someone about Christ, they should see him in you. They should see him and how you live and how you respond and how you think. They should see Christ in you. We should also then be living together as God's people as a picture of Bay City under the Lordship of Christ. As Bangor Baptist Church. We, we, we come, yes, from Saginaw and Millen's and various areas. But for, for the most part, what I'm saying is this small community should be a reflection of the greater community simply under the Lordship of Christ. So in terms of our engagement in culture, our, uh, our composition being multi-ethnic as it reflects the culture, not artificially, but if, it's, if we're 10% Latino out there, we should be, for the most part, a healthy church would be 10% Latino in here, or whatever it is. But what we're showing the rest of our community is, look, this is, what, this is what you guys should look like under the Lordship of Christ, the one who has Lordship and you're refusing to acknowledge it. So that's the first thing, living an attractional, gospel-driven lifestyle. Secondly, we should share Christ individually with those in our network of relationships, family, friends, co-workers, and in opportune moments. In other words, what we want to encourage the church is an op- as a lifestyle of man fishing. Isn't that what Jesus said? Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. That's the kind of lifestyle that we want to cultivate here. That given every opportunity, every chance, and in fact, not just when they come up, but intentionally looking for opportunities as individuals to share Christ. But then more than that, share Christ as families. You have a neighbor, and they've they got families. They've got young kids, and we've got young kids. We're a married couple. Guess what? We try and do things together as a family. That way they get to see this is how a family under the Lordship of Christ lives. This is how we parent our kids. This is how we love them and discipline them. This is how, this is how we look together as a family, and then we engage them as a family in conversation. We're not saying we expect our, our, our uh, you know, uh, what is it going to be now, four, five, and eight-year-old to all say, hey, here's who Jesus is, and you better get saved. If they do, great. That's a good conversation starter, isn't it? Uh, but, um, uh, but, but that's not, that's not what we're talking about. Okay. But what we're talking about is, is though looking for those points of similarity and contact between us and lost people and engaging on that level. The easiest one is individuals. We work with people. Everybody works with somebody, right? We have neighbors. Everybody lives next to somebody. And one of those two things is going to be true. And so we go and we interact, but also then as families, if you exist as a family or as couples, say, I don't have any kids at home. Fine. But if you're still married and you got a good marriage, guess what? You go find a lost couple that's married and you go interact with them. You you, you, you take the time you would set aside for, for a date and you make it a double date and you go out and do something fun and you have dinner, but then you also work the conversation towards the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then together as a church body, whether it's through events held in the community, such as picnics or vacation Bible school, or whether we go out into community events like the pig gig with man booze, we're offering Bibles and water. We do things together corporately as a church to create opportunities to engage the gospel. But then also we seek to live together in terms of, a, in terms of discipleship and growth. We seek to live together as the church body through church life. In other words, community service, worship services, our community groups, worship services, fellowship events, all these things are seeking to build one another up, to, to serve one another, to grow in our faith. We serve and support missionaries through uh, sharing Christ, through prayer resources and short-term trips, whether that's the continuance of our Tomaszek project or whether it's future opportunities. We do that together as the church. We teach by word and example what living as disciples of Christ means through Bible study, sermons, community groups, men's and women's groups. We are seeking to to, to teach one another what it means. Ultimately, we're seeking to build one another up as the body of Christ by encouraging them. The New Testament says we do this through lots of things. Loving one another, serving one another, caring for one another, bearing with one another, taking care of one another, praying for one another. And it goes on and on and on and on. We are to be knit together as the people of God around the gospel. Not just people that pass the night on Sunday mornings. 
Not just people whose lives are kind of intermined. You know, we, we belong to this kind of club together, but I only see them a couple times a month. No, 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 no. That's not the vision. That's not the biblical vision of church, and that's not what the elders want for us as well. So all of that is the biblical basis. All of that was us going back to the starting place and saying, this is what the New Testament says we should be as a church. Now, what decision about the building is best going to allow us to do that? Okay, so this gets into part two now, decisions for biblical ministry, and this is a lot quicker in case you're wondering and you're dying. And if you want it, feel free to turn the air on, somebody back there, because I'm sweating like a pig up here. In the midst of regular discussions of ministry, the elders were quickly faced with the seemingly routine decision about how to fix our building's roof. But it became apparent very quickly that though this issue before us was about a roof, it was also about much more than a roof. The amount of money required opened up the, the question of the future of BBC's ministry. Specifically, would we remain in our current building or would we move somewhere else? Some may wonder why we'd even think about moving somewhere else over just a roof. But the reality is this. Our current building is not in the best of shape. That's the reality. Besides a roof problem, we also have an auditorium that we will outgrow in a few years if we keep growing at the current rate. We have inadequate classroom space, too few bathrooms, bathrooms that need flooring to be redone, a very old boiler, inadequate parking, and the need for better nursery space. All of this forces us to ask ourselves, what is the best way for Bangor Baptist Church to continue growing and serving and engaging in gospel ministry in the foreseeable future? The roof has to be dealt with now. And we've pretty much heard from everybody, it's, it stinks, it's the pits, it's overdue, so therefore we have to ask these questions now. It's not something that we can put off. As we sat down and thought through these options, frankly, it was not like all of us said, yeah, this is the one, it's, it's obvious, this is what we want to do. It wasn't. It was something that we labored over in terms of prayer and discussion, attempting to get as much information as possible. It was not an easy decision. But at the end of the day, uh, both, I think, through the wisdom that we were asking for, as well as a few series of providences, Pastor Richard and Pastor Joe and myself all came to the similar conclusion, this option that we, deci we decided on, this is the best option, the one that we should go for. Well, that was just one of three, though. So what I want to do is walk you through the three options that were before us, showing you what were the, the benefits and the downsides of those things, and then tell you what we decided we think the church should, uh, should, rec should accept as our recommendation. The first option we had was to simply stay put. To simply stay put and to keep putting money into our current building, hoping to do enough remodeling and eventually adding to it in order to make it work for our current and future needs. The benefit of this decision is that basically we keep doing what we're doing. We stay in the same building, we stay on the same land, nothing really changes. But the problem with this option is also the same as the benefit. Everything stays the same. That means that though very quickly we will run out of room in our current building, we're already pushing ourselves in terms of classroom space, and it won't be long before the same thing happens in terms of our auditorium. Right now we have room for 80 people. That's five people per pew and 16 pews. Now more people might fit, sometimes six if you've got little kids, seven. But that assumes, that assumes people will want to sit that close week in and week out, year after year. And the reality is, statistically, many people will not do that. In fact, it's almost a universal, universally true principle that you only hit 75 to 80% capacity before people begin to start leaving. You, you start losing people uh, coming. And so we're running about 50 people right now or more per service. We're getting very close to hitting. It will not be long if we keep growing to hit that 75 to 80% capacity. Some might think, like we consider, that we could just remodel the inside of the building or use the school's parking lot to help remedy these problems in the near future. Well, there's some problems with that. First of all, uh, the parking lot is only feasible for part of the year. Snow mounds and mud pits prevent it for the other part. 
Also, we can only remodel so much of our building before we are required by law to then bring up the entire building up to current code. In a building that has some parts 50 years old, that's a lot of time and a lot of money. So, that's option number one. The second option involved renting or leasing an existing building as a temporary measure until a more permanent building could be found. The benefits to this were numerous. First, we would have all the benefits of a meeting space of a building without the required hassle and care required of a building like maintenance and upkeep. We don't have to worry about when something breaks down. We don't have to worry about a roof or a boiler. We just show up, we have church, and then we leave, and it's somebody else's problem. Second, space would not be an issue. We could grow fast and not worry about having to build somewhere else. If we outgrew the facility, we would just get up and move again. Both facilities that we looked at as real possibilities, one a church and the other a theater, also had established sound systems that would allow us to set up and tear down quickly with minimal effort. Both literally would just plug in and go. There wouldn't be a big, uh, you know, setting up this, that, and the other the whole time. This is something that many new churches and some businesses do today with great success. However, the renting leasing option also has a couple of drawbacks. First, one of the sites was not set up very well for classroom space. Though the, the morning worship and Wednesday nights would remain largely unaffected, Sunday school would have to be rethought. Would we even have it? How would we do it? The bigger problem, though, came in the value of our property. You know, the assumption was if we were going to, to, to make a move somewhere else, that we would be selling uh, the, the property, especially originally we were told, well, if you sell the land, you're going to get more money than trying to sell this building. Uh, and that would give us a cushion uh, whereby we could go and, uh, and rent something uh, with, uh, above and beyond our existing budget. The problem is, uh, having a realtor come, it became obvious that, that you can't just, the way the, our land is laid out, you can't just sell the land. Um, you would have to be selling it as a building, and, um, and then they, you're talking about someone that has all the same problems that we have with the building, or someone that would, might want it, but has way too much land to go with it. They wouldn't want to care for it. The building is less than, worth less than, is worth less than $150,000. Having the money again from that sale would have helped us to better rent space elsewhere. Uh, so that was a downside. Finally, the downside of this is the possible shock to the congregation. Let's just be honest. This, is, this option is the most disruptive to our ministries. You're talking about completely uh, leaving what has been our church home for some of you for years and years and years. For those of you, maybe a couple of months, but completely going somewhere else to a whole new facility, a whole new location, and trying to, to reestablish ourselves in that place. We believe that many would have a real concern with this decision, though, frankly, the elders were more concerned ultimately with deciding, is this what God wants or not? Nevertheless, part of what God wants, part of our standing orders, is to care for the people of God. And so wisdom says, if this is going to be a major disruption to people, and it's about a non-essential issue, perhaps it's wise best not, not to pursue that, that option at this time. Finally, the third option then involved remaining at our current location with a repaired roof on our current building, but then also planning to build a new facility on the land in the immediate future, one to three years. Doing this would allow us to remain on a large plot of existing land that we own. That means space for things like VBS and other community-oriented events. But it would also allow us to transition out of our building in phases rather than all at once. A new building means not losing money on upkeep, but rather investing in expansion. Taking this option also means being able to design a building from start to finish that will be specifically suited for our ministry needs. Finally, this option is attractive because a work team has volunteered to come and do the necessary repair work on our roof at no cost to us rather than materials and housing the team. The main drawback to this option, though, is the required commitment. Building a bigger, better facility means actively seeking people to fill it. 
we need to be great commission people. Certainly, we cannot make people get saved. That's God's work. However, many more would be saved if we actually went out and proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ like we believed it. This new facility would also, though, require a financial commitment. As a church, we would need to commit not only to giving our regular offerings, but also a little extra for this new facility. So, what do we do with those three options? Well, after much prayer and consideration discussion, we as elders believe that the third option is the best future that we should embrace for Bangor Baptist Church. We should remain at our current location, but wisely plan for a new facility in the near future. The elders are convinced that our current building is not the future of Bangor Baptist Church. Given the age of our building, its layout, and the amount of work and money that will be invested in keeping it up and expanding it, we believe God's money will be better invested elsewhere. This recommendation to build something new is not meant to be a far-off plan either. We are not repairing the roof to give us more and more time to think about the issue. The elders believe that BBC, Bangor Baptist Church, should begin quickly laying out a timeline for the planning and construction of a new building to be completed in at least two phases, as well as create a specific budget line or use an existing one to begin setting aside specific monies for a future building. Furthermore, we are not recommending putting any more substantial amounts of money into our current building after the roof is repaired. In fact, given the reduced cost for the project, the elders propose that, that we use existing money to complete this roof job and not take out another loan. Though such things as fresh paint or a simple repair on our auditorium ceiling might happen, we believe substantial money should only be put towards the new facility. That's our recommendation. And let me close with this. As we prayed through these things uh, and all these decisions, basically there were three things that stood out to us as lessons that were reinforced to us that we also want then to reinforce to you. Not only because it will help shed light on our thinking, but we also think it will help facilitate the right kind of attitude and mindset as we seek to serve Christ together as his people. First, we need to understand the church is not a building. The church is not a building. Even in casual conversation, we should not refer to this building as the church. Like, let's go on over to the church whether we call it just the building or the church building or, you know, the old purity just call it the meeting house. But, uh, you know, we decided that probably didn't sound real good. Uh, however we do it, we need to acknowledge, not just in our minds, but even with our lips, this building is not inherently special in terms of the kingdom purposes of God. Christ is clear. There is nothing inherently sacred or holy with our building. It's not God's house. It's not a temple. Jesus said He is the true temple. He is the true means by which we come to meet with God. Furthermore, when we gather collectively as God's people, we are His house. Not this building, not this physical structure. So whether we meet in a theater or in a field or in homes, or whether we gather together in a building, we come together as God's people. We are the church. We don't go to a church. Secondly, we need to remember that ministry is not about us. Ministry is not about us. It's true that as a church we are to be concerned for the care of our members and have gathered worship oriented towards the praise of God's people. In other words, uh, I think it's fundamentally wrong when churches, and, and all of us do as elders, um, I just need to start learning better how to say we, we, we sometimes. Uh, that's a good thing though. We believe it's fundamentally wrong when you take the, the time given for corporate worship of God's people and turn it into a dog and pony show to appeal to lost people. That's not helpful to God's people. That's not helpful to lost people either. Nevertheless, we have to remember our essential mission is to bring in other sheep into God's fold. We are to think about being a missions-oriented people locally and globally. That means that we should not think about future ministry in terms of what is easiest for us but about what is best for the mission. How can we best take the gospel to the nations and bring others into our community of common care and faith in Christ? 
And so one of the things that came up, and this is, this is not meant to be part of the recommendation. If you say, yeah, we like the recommendation, but we don't like this bit, don't worry because we're simply offering this as a suggestion, something that came up, okay? But one of the things that came up in Vacation Bible School was this, apparently this stigma in our community with the term Baptist. Right or wrong, Baptists have a confusing and even negative reputation in this largely Catholic Lutheran area. And so something that we thought about doing in the near future is changing our name to not have Baptists in it. Understand, that's not because we're not proud of being Baptist. Not because we don't want to be less Baptist. All we're saying is, if that word Baptist prevents someone from actually coming into our church, our fellowship, or talking to us on the street or in a coffee shop and hearing the gospel, we should get rid of it. We are Baptist people. That's how our entire church is structured. That's how we believe the church runs. It's the reason why, as elders, we're not saying, this is what we're doing. We're simply saying, rather, as your spiritual leaders, we believe this is where we should go. But you as a church have to recognize that this is truly godly leadership and a godly direction in which to go. So from start to finish, we, we are a Baptist people. But frankly, that, that title is, if it's meaningless to a people, why do we keep it? Why not change it to something more generic so that people come in and then when they say, oh, you're Baptist? I never knew Baptist was like this. I never knew Baptists were so loving. I never knew Baptists cared so much about the Bible or whatever it is. It's just one idea of, of trying to say, let's not, let's not cause people to stumble over us, but rather stumble over the cross, which is what they should be stumbling over if they're going to stumble. We're expressing a sensitivity to the lost, not a, not a beholdenness to them, but a sensitivity to them that should inform our thinking about our ministries. We should not be asking what's easiest for us. We should be asking what's going to best allow us to advance Christ's kingdom by the message of the gospel. Finally, because we are looking to the future, we should, just because we are looking to the future, we should not disparage the past. It's the same in every church. We acknowledge that not everything that has been done in the history of Bangor Baptist Church was always perfectly good or always perfectly God-honoring. Nevertheless, by virtue of the fact that we still exist after 50 years of ministry says, we've been doing something right. That overall, God is pleased with what has been going on. I heard, I don't, and if it was someone in, you know, in, our, in our church, then you know, uh, I don't remember who it is. But someone a couple weeks ago said something about, you know, it's always bad to see a church close its doors. Well, on some level, yes, but you know what? In Revelation, Jesus is very clear that he is the one who has established his church. And though his church universal will never be destroyed, he has the freedom and the sovereignty to close down local churches if they become a, a less than faithful witness to the gospel. And so by virtue of the fact that we still exist, it says that God was largely pleased with what is going on here. And so whether we're moving, whether we're moving out of this building or whether we're changing our name or whatever we're doing, you need to understand we're not doing that. We're not recommending that as elders. And so neither should you because we somehow think less of what has gone on before. Just because we are recommending some changes, we are not trying to forget or to, to outlive shame from the past. On the contrary, we appreciate what has gone on before. Our future ministry is built on 50 years of faithfulness and we are grateful for that. So in summary let, me, in summary, let me just say this. Again, the Christian life comes down to fulfilling three commands, loving God, loving others, and making disciples. And what we're trying to do is figure out the best way to do that here in our context. It involves a lot of things that have nothing to do with our building, but some things that are, have to do with our building. And after much prayer, consideration, and discussion, we as elders have determined that BBC, we, we as a church, should remain at our current location that is the land, but begin wisely and quickly planning for a new facility in the future and begin moving in that direction, embracing future ministry to this community and ultimately to the nations.
Now, again, some of you may have questions about that. Some of you, because um, you know, I was competing with a Micro Machines guy, trying to talk as fast as I could to get through it, uh, you may still be saying, now, what, what did he say about that? I would say, again, about one per family, we have a packet. It's literally, except for my little annotations on here, it's, what I, it's the, the complete substance of what I've said. We would encourage you to take that and to pray and to think and to, to set aside time to fast and seek God's face. Is this, is this where God wants us to go? As elders, we are, we are united and unanimous in saying we believe this is the first and best future for the ministry of Bangor Baptist Church. In light of that call to think and to pray, uh, in response to what we've heard today, what we want to do is to, is to take just a few minutes and to actually pray for this decision. When we're done, then we're going to actually um, sing a song of response asking God uh, to give us wisdom about this. But right now, if I, and I'm going to catch you guys on the spot here, but if I could ask uh, Gene if you would pray, and Pastor Richard if you would pray, and if you would ask God to, to make it so clear uh, to us what, what His will for our lives is in terms of this decision of this building. And then, and then after that we will stand and sing.